out. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode here at the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. I'm your humble host, David Vignola. This is season three, episode number eight. This time out, we're going to talk about and I'm going to explain to you how you can take your DAW workflow and workstation and we're going to turn that into a multi-million dollar analog studio. What? You asked? That's what we're going to do. I'm going to show you how you can use plugins and a combination of plugins to get your DAW to behave and act and even sound like a great big analog studio with all kinds of fancy gear. So sit back, relax, give me the old five-star review and the thumbs up. And now let's talk about how can you turn your DAW into an analog studio right here on the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. Well, well, everyone, welcome back yet to another episode here at the Home Recording Made Easy.com podcast. This is season three, episode eight. And this time we're going to talk about how you could turn your DAW into a multi-million dollar analog studio. And you may say, what? What does that mean, Uncle Dave? I don't get it. Well, a lot of people ask me, and I've been teaching this for a lot of years, actually. If you watch the YouTube channel, and I know you're all viewers of my YouTube channel, Home Recording Made Easy, you've seen me do videos even in the distant past, even as much as six, seven years ago, on how you can take your your digital audio workstation and get out of the stock plugins and kind of the more digital kind of sound and get it more vibey and analog sounding. And instead of going out and buying a console and a bunch of hardware, you could do that today with plugin. Plugins are really great today and they make some great emulations. However, the way you use those plugins uh, is very specific, in my opinion, to make that 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 uh, digital recording or that digital mixing process sound more analog. And so we're going to talk about that today. So make sure again you like, share, subscribe if you're on uh, Apple uh, Music or Spotify. Give me the old uh, five star and thumbs up if you're on YouTube. And I'm on YouTube. Hello everybody. If you like watching this on YouTube, you can do that. Make sure you also send in your questions uh, for our every third episode where I do subscriber and listener Q and A. You can send all of your questions related to that to info at home recording made easy.com. So now let me get myself a sip of water here. Okay. Let's talk about this whole thing about turning my DAW into an analog studio and why people want to do that. So why would you want to do that? So let's first talk about why people like, or some people like, a lot of people like, myself included, the analog sound. Why do we like that sound? What is that all about? What is the analog sound, you may be asking? Well, analog sound really comes from if you think back in the way um, records were made and recorded and mixed back from the 50s, especially in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, and even into the 90s, most of the records, regardless of genre that you love and grew up on, regardless of your age, whether you're someone in your 70s or someone in your 20s or someone in your 30s, most of the stuff that you grew up uh, listening to was recorded in big multi-million dollar studios and then also more than likely mixed in those same studios where um, records were made where you had all outboard gear. This is before the days of Pro Tools and digital recording. And even though most big studios today use Pro Tools and, and digital audio workstations, a lot of them still record through and mix on analog gear. That's called more of a hybrid flow. And they just use the digital audio workstation is the way to transfer digital files in and out of their analog gear. 
That analog gear, when you record or pass audio, record a guitar, record a vocal, and you send it through a microphone, obviously, into a hardware preamp of some kind, into an analog recording console or mixing console, into analog hardware compressors and EQs, all of that analog hardware has a sound and a sound characteristic that it imparts on that audio signal. Some people describe it as warm and fat and vibe and, you know, all of those kinds of words that people use. And really what it all really kind of boils down to, when you send audio through analog equipment, it has a certain sound to it. And all the records that are made from the 60s all the way through the 90s, and again, even a lot still today, were all made in that way. They were all recorded in that way. Anything that's on the radio, any kind of hit records. Yes, lots of people today make stuff at home in their bedroom, in their home studios with their little interface and their laptop. But most of mainstream music by big artists that you all know and love don't record records that way. So the gear in and of itself imparts a very specific sound characteristic to the audio. And that is, for lack of a better word, to kind of keep this brief, that is the sound of analog. When we moved all to digital recording, where everyone started moving away from analog at one point in time, <clears throat> pardon me, and started using all digital plugins and stock plugins that came with Pro Tools, that was the big DAW back then. Um, it was great. The DAW is awesome for all the editing capabilities and all the speed of doing things in, inside of the box as it is. But though, but the sound, when you take away all that analog equipment, you lose something in the sound, okay? It doesn't sound the same as digital recording, okay, and digital mixing. And so what's been going on over the last, say, at least 10 years, all these plug-in companies, all these plug-in manufacturers have, are now and have been trying to make plugins that sound like that old classic gear to put back in with algorithms into the digital domain what was lost from that analog equipment. And most of them today do a really, really good job. And so now a lot of people, probably a lot of people that are even listening to this, may not use all their stock plugins. They're using more third-party plugins by Waves and Universal Audio and Slate Digital and FabFilter. And there's probably a bunch of others, Overloud and Audified and all the companies that you own, Plugin Alliance, Brainworks, right? All the plugins you all know and love. Everybody's making emulations in plugin format of the old classic compressors, the old classic uh, channel strips, the old classic preamps to try to bring that stuff back in. And those plugins sound different than most of your typical stock plugins that come with your DAW. Most of the stock plugins that come with your DAW, I know there's some exceptions to this, are more what we call transparent type plugins. They're more for surgical and for clinical ways of cleaning up audio and working with audio, but they don't typically have that sound characteristic of some of the noise, harmonic distortion, some of the color, and some of the richness that these third-party plugins give, which are emulating this old analog hardware. Does that make sense, everybody? I know that was a lot in a very short period of time. So what does that mean? Well, all that means for you is if you've been working in a DAW and using mostly stock plugins and you're just not thrilled with the way things sound, you think it sounds okay, but you feel like it's missing something and you want your records and your music to sound more like it did when it was recorded in those big studios with all that great gear, we could do that now today in the digital domain. 
using third-party plugins. Now, how you use those plugins, how you set them up in your DAW is done in a very specific way to be able to do that. And the way you use those kinds of plugins are quite a bit different than the way you use a typical stock plugin, whether it's an EQ, a compressor, or what have you. And a lot of people make the mistake moving from stock plugins to third-party plugins. They just buy all the fancy plugins they see on YouTube, and then they throw them on their tracks, and they don't really sound that great because they don't know how to effectively use them because they are used in a different way, okay? And so, hey, fate has it. The good old Uncle Dave here actually has a course for you to show you how to use these analog-style plugins in the most effective way to get the most out of them and that course is called Mixing with Analog Style Plugins Made Easy. And if you stick around till the end of this episode, I'm going to tell you how you can get that course at a heavily discounted price. That course is over 20 hours long. It's going to go way deeper than what we are going here today in the podcast and how you can turn your DAW into an analog studio and how to use those plugins in the most effective way. So make sure you keep that in the top of your mind, Mixing with Analog Style Plugins Made Easy. So let's talk a little bit about first couple of steps. If you want to turn your DAW into an analog studio, there's a couple of things you want to do. Okay, let's just talk about this. First, I want to talk about the way we're going to put, we've recorded our stuff, we're ready to mix it now, right? I've already recorded your stuff in your bedroom, in your home studio, through your audio interface, whether it's a PreSonus or a Motu or a Focusrite, they're all great products, but they're all digital. They don't got the highest quality preamps in them, but you're getting some clean, clean digital or recordings. Great. So now we're going to go mix that stuff. So the very first thing we want to do when we talk about plugins is we want to think about the way the, the signal flows in a real analog studio. So what does that mean? So let's say you're recording in a live room. You have a band in a live room, right? You mic'd up the guitar cabinets, the drum kit and everything. All those microphones are going into what? They're probably going into some kind of a recording console or they're going into high quality outboard preamps and then going to the recording console. But let's just assume here for a second that we're going into a Neve or an API, or an SSL console. Those have preamps built right into them, and they're highly sought after, and they've been on millions of records over the past three decades. So the first thing we wanna do is think about the signal flow. So it goes from the live room into the preamp on our console, then it flows through the console. We're mixing on the console with all the faders. The signal then, the mix flows through the mix bus, or the main outs on that console, and then would typically go to a two-track tape machine. So the signal flow is going from the live room from the musicians into a console, mixed through a console with EQ and compression, going out a two-bus, then going to a, a two-track tape machine. That is the basic overview of how signal flows. Now, every studio will work maybe slightly different than that, and we talk more about that in, in mixing with analog-style plugins made easy, but that's the basic overview. So how do we set up? our plugins to, to mimic that workflow. Let's just take a drum kit, for example. We have kick, snare, tom one and two, overheads and rooms. Okay, that's what we have in our session. So the very first plugin that I'm gonna want you to put on each one of those tracks, and I'm talking every one of those tracks, let's start with a channel strip. Okay, channel strips are great because channel strips have preamps built, emulated in them. They have filters, they have a gate, they'll have a compressor, they'll have an EQ, all on them. Okay, and then some, depending on the plugin, some of those channel strips may even have some additional features like saturation and de-essers and those kinds of things. But let's just talk about a Neve channel strip. And I don't care what company you go look at, Plugin Alliance, Universal Audio, Waves, whoever makes one, but your favorite Neve channel strip. Very first plugin we're gonna put on all of those drum tracks is our channel strip, okay? Okay. 
in that channel strip, we're going to be running the signal through the preamp of that plugin, right? Which mimics the, the, the real console. Then it's going to go into a filter section, high pass, low pass filters. Then it's going to probably go into a gate of some kind, then an EQ, and then a compressor. So by putting that channel strip on all of your tracks, our drum set in this example, you have now automatically imparted that Neve kind of vibe on all of those drum tracks, right? So it already has a sense of cohesiveness because it's all running through the same plugin, right? So that's the first thing we're gonna do. And we're gonna put that on all of our tracks in our session. So let's say we have 25 tracks in our session with guitars, bass, keyboards, vocals, and drums. First plugin, channel strip. Doesn't matter which one it is, but get yourself a nice channel strip. Okay, lots of plugin companies out there make them. You could demo them all for free. Usually, I have many reviews on our YouTube channel showing you all different ones from SSL to API to Neve to Focusrite to Abbey Road stuff, everything. Get yourself a nice channel strip. That's the first key to getting your, your mix, your digital recording to sound more analog is by using a channel strip, okay? Now on our master bus, we wanna talk about, well, where is it gonna go? We're mixing it through our analog console, mixing it through our channel strip, doing all of our EQ and compression and our filtering. And then it's gonna go out the outputs or the main outs or the mix bus on a console. So on your master fader and your DAW, you are gonna pick a bus compressor. And what I typically do is I will match that to the channel strip. So if I'm using an, an SSL, let's say, channel strip on all of my tracks to do all of my preamp, filtering, EQ, compression, and gating, then I'm gonna use an SSL bus compressor on my master output. Why? Because I'm trying to, to build or mimic that SSL console in my DAW. And typically, if you're mixing through an SSL, you're gonna mix through an SSL bus compressor. If it was an API console, maybe I would use the API 2500 on my mix bus. If it was a Neve um, console, maybe I would use a Neve compressor on my master bus, like a, the 33609 or something like that to keep the flavor, the Neve flavor, the SSL flavor, the API flavor all on that mix. Okay, so we'll set that up. Now, after our mix bus compressor, where is it going to go after it comes out of the console? Well, it's probably going to go to a two-track tape machine. So I would put a two-track tape machine after my mix bus compressor on my master bus. And again, there's many of them out there. I've done lots of demos on them. Get yourself a nice tape machine plug-in, drop it on that master uh, track. So now when you think about all the plugins that you have in your DAW, all you really have is your channel strip on all your individual tracks, your bus compressor on your master out, and your tape machine, okay? Really only three types of plugins. That's it. Okay, that is going to give you the foundation to having what it would be like if you recorded and mixed in a real analog studio. The only additional thing to that, we get some more water here. <clears throat> Pardon me. The only additional thing to that is what else do you typically see in analog studios? You will normally see racks of outboard gear racks of compressors, racks of EQs, and maybe some other specialty processors, reverbs and delays. But let's just talk about compression and EQ. So you walk into a studio and every studio is gonna be a little different, but most analog rooms will have a couple, a pair of 1176s, maybe a pair of LA2As, maybe they're lucky to have one Fairchild, maybe a couple of Pultec EQs, the mainstays, the classic gear, 
<clears throat> so when you're working in your digital audio workstation, the beauty thing about digital is you don't have to have only a pair of 1176s. You can have infinite amount of 1176s because you have a plug-in. But if you really want to mimic and replicate what we did in an analog studio, you wouldn't put an 1176 on every one of your tracks or even on 10 of your 20 tracks. Why? Because most analog studios didn't have that. They maybe had two 1176s or three 1176s. So the engineer had to decide, where do I want to put those 1176s? It has a special sound, a special flavor to it. And I'm going to highlight and put that on specific elements in my mix. So when you're working in your DAW workstation, you want to limit yourself to how many pieces of outboard gear do you have? So I would write it down on a piece of paper. For this mix, I'm going to use this channel strip, say it's SSL. I'm going to use this tape machine on my master bus. I'm going to use this SSL bus compressor. And I'm going to allow myself a handful of additional plugins, outboard gear, that I can sprinkle around my mix. So for example, I'm going to allow myself two 1176 style compressors. I'm going to allow myself one LA-2A, maybe one LA-3A, maybe one Pultec EQ and maybe one other specialty EQ or compressor, depending on whatever you have. A handful, five or six at most. And then you limit yourself to where you can put those on your mix and where you want to highlight something on your mix. So for example, the Pultec is a widely sought after EQ. Maybe I would reserve that for my lead vocal, the star of the mix. If I'm going to put a, a Pultec on, I'm probably going to maybe use it on an EQ. I'm not going to put a Pultec plug-in on 10 of my tracks, including my lead vocal. Why? You can, you have them, right? But why wouldn't you want to do that? Because if you put that Pultec on 10 different tracks, the specialty of the Pultec that you were highlighting that lead vocal with is now gone because everything's got a Pultec on it. Does that make sense? The only thing that we want to keep uniform across the entire mix is our channel strip. Once we get into our outboard gear, we want to think like we were sitting in an analog studio with a limited amount of gear, and we want to take that gear and treat it like treat it like seasonings in a soup. I just want to sprinkle, I'm going to put the Pultec as my salt, I'm going to put that on my lead vocal. My 1176 sounds really good on a snare, I'm going to drop that on my snare drum. Instead of using the compressor in the channel strip, I'm going to maybe use it on the snare instead. Still going to use the channel strip for my EQ and for my preamp and for my filtering, but maybe I'm not going to use the compressor on that particular track. I'm going to use my 1176, right? Maybe I'm going to use uh, my LA3A on an electric guitar because LA3As typically sound great on electric guitars. And you start to limit your options and you sprinkle them around your mix. That is going to give you kind of the same vibe and workflow as we would do in an analog studio. Where you put that extra seasoning is gonna highlight and make those, those elements in your mix a little more special, a little bit more unique. But overall, you're gonna have a sense of cohesiveness because you used your channel strip and you have that SSL vibe or that SSL flavor. In this way, by putting limitations on yourself, you're gonna become better at the craft of mixing instead of just dropping massive amounts of plugins on everything. And usually that is a recipe for disaster. <laughs> so that's how, and again, we go into much larger depth in that mixing with analog style plugins course, but that's the basic framework, right? Channel strip across all the tracks, mix bus compressor, tape machine on the master bus, 
handful of outboard gear plugins that we can sprinkle around our mix and let the channel strip do most of the heavy lifting. That is the way you turn your DAW into an analog studio. That's the way you mimic the workflow, okay? Now, some things you wanna consider. Number one is your computer. When you're talking about taking a, a session with 30, 40 tracks and you wanna put 40 channel strips on in that session, can your computer handle that many plugins? Now, the good news is most uh, manufacturers today have made their plugins very CPU friendly, but depending on your computer, and we've talked about computer specs in prior episodes, you want to make sure you got the computer to handle that many plugins. You're not going to have a ton of plugins, meaning different types of plugins, but you're going to have lots of channel strips, right? That's going to be the big one. And this is before we even talk about reverbs and delays, right? So you want to make sure your computer can handle the amount of plugins that you're going to put into a session. You also want to make sure that with your session set up in this fashion, when you're using lots of plugins, that you double check things like your buffer size, if you're, you're experiencing cracks and, and pops and those kinds of things, audio artifacts, that's either an underspecced computer or your buffer size or a combination of both. So you want to make sure that you, uh, that you check that as well. Um, the other thing you want to think about, um, does your DAW already have some of these analog style plugins already. Before you run out and buy a bunch of third-party plugins, there are DAWs that give you some of those emulations as part of your DAW package. I know Studio One does that with their plugin called the Fat Channel. They have an 1176 emulation and a Pultec emulation and an LE uh, 2A and a DBX 160 and others that you don't have to go out and buy third-party plugins. You might be able to do it all with your stock, your stock plugins. That gets you up and running very, very easily. So... When we talk about turning the DAW into an analog studio, it's all about really limitations and that cohesiveness across all of your channel strips, depending on which desk that you pick. Um, you have to think about it in a different way, meaning you don't have a limited amount of choices to drop on all your tracks. You got to limit yourself. But even more importantly than that, you have to understand how these plugins work and the way you set up gain staging with them. And there's a lot of other technical things you have to worry about that you just don't take these things, drop them on the tracks, and magically they all sound good. There is a technique and a way to work with these plugins to get the most out of them. And that's why I want to tell you about, again, as we get to the closing of this episode, about mixing with analog style plugins made easy. I tell every one of my students that if you have any third-party plugins at all that you use or think about using or you're thinking about buying them, before you spend another dime on plugins, check out this Mixing with Analog Style Plugins Made Easy course. It's over 20 hours long. Now we go through a whole bunch of stuff in there where we demo lots of plugins, we listen to the differences between different types of tape machines, different types of compressors, different types of channel strips, and so much more. But then you also get multi-tracks for a song that we're gonna mix together from start to finish with all these types of plugins. And I'm gonna show you even in more detail um, how you set up your studio, your, your DAW, like an analog studio, even more beyond what we did here today. Today, we just have a basic overview, but really where you're going to learn how to really emulate that workflow and get the most out of those plugins is with mixing with analog style plugins made easy. So I hope this was helpful to you for people that have been asking me about this kind of a topic. If you um, have any more questions, again, check out the course. Now, I want to thank you for listening to this entire episode. So as I said at the beginning, I don't know if I said this at the beginning, but you need to go out to homerecordingmadeeasy.com because we're talking about mixing here, right? I want to give you a free mixing course. It's right on the website. 
You can't miss it. It's right on the homepage. It's a hundred dollar mixing course. I want to give to you absolutely free. Now we only work with stock plugins in that particular course. It's really an, an entry level beginner's course. But once you take that course, if you say, you know what? I really dig Dave's, David's style of teaching. I want to learn more about what he has to offer. I have a whole online school, everything from mixing the mastering, the EQ compression, mixing with analog style plugins, and so much more. If you want to check out one of those training courses, I want to give you a discount. I'm going to give you a coupon code. The discount coupon code is going to be, where is it here? Let me see. Podcast 30. Use podcast 30 at checkout. That will take 30% off any of the training courses on my website. So the first thing you need to do is go to homerecordingmadeeasy.com, get your free mixing course. Take the course. If you decide you want to pick up some other courses, use that coupon code to take 30% off. And last but certainly not least, if you really enjoy this whole topic about mixing, you really want to learn the craft of mixing in a very non-technical way, and it's perfect for beginners and intermediates, perfect for you, even some advanced folks, you're going to get a lot out of this. And you want a different set of multi-tracks that we can mix together from start to finish. You want a full training course, a new training course every single month where I show you how to mix a song from start to finish in real time, not an overview. In real time, you see the entire mix. You follow along with me. We use different plugins, different DAWs. We mix every different style of music under the sun so you can really get better at the craft of mixing. And you're also joining a community of other folks that are like-minded that are all trying to get better at the craft of mixing. We got a wonderful community there as well where we all help each other. And you also get one-on-one -on -one time with good old Uncle Dave each and every month. Then you want to check out what I have going on over at mixingmadeeasy.net. That is the fastest way for you to get better at the craft of mixing. You don't have to worry about a bunch of technical jargon. It's done in a very non-technical way. And everything that I talked to you about in this episode and so much more, we cover at great length over at mixingmadeeasy.net. So go to the websites, check them out, use the coupon code. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe. And I want to thank you so much once again for joining me here on this month's podcast. I've been Dave with HomeRecordingMadeEasy.com and MixingMadeEasy.net, and I will speak to you guys very soon. Take care, everybody.